Well, good morning again. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it's my privilege to be able to continue our study through the book of Genesis. We've been talking about uh, Abraham, and then we got to Isaac. Yes, I did say about. Aren't you glad? Yes, I, I, see, you, I see you back there mouthing that about word. I am Canadian, but I'm grateful for everyone who has served in the military on this Memorial Day weekend. Actually, we, had, uh, we, we have something as well. We wear poppies on our, on our lapels when we celebrate the same thing in Canada. Um, now we get to the topic of Jacob. Jacob is an interesting one. Have you been enjoying this? This has been an interesting study, watching this guy grapple his way through life. And uh, I'm sure it doesn't apply to anybody, so you're all bored with this. But uh, today, it's interesting, the title of the message is Grapplers Multiply. Have you ever found that some of the traits, good and bad, that you learn get passed on to the people you wish wouldn't get passed on to? Some of you might have grown up in a family where your mom or your dad said, you know what, I hope you have a child just like you. Yeah, right? Yeah, and then you don't because you're much better at parenting than they ever were. How about this? Have you ever met somebody who just couldn't live without something? Somebody that just couldn't live having to wait for something or wait for God to provide. Like, they know God is doing something. They know God is at work, but they just have a hard time waiting on him. It's like they need to know now. I know God has promised the best for me. I know that's true in Scripture. But I just need things to happen this certain way and in this certain time frame. And and sometimes you feel so frustrated because you pray and you think, well, God loves to answer prayer, right? You pray to God and it still doesn't get answered and you fall to the ground with your arms up in that great military movie that goes, the shall go unnamed, and you lift your voice in your head to the sky and you say, why? Why do I have to wait so long for God to provide? Doesn't God want my best? Why won't he move? Now let me just make this camel a little heavier for you, throwing one more straw on the back of it. Who do you become when you don't get what you think you need or deserve? What do you do when you don't get what you think you need or deserve? Who do you become in the gap? This is the common denominator between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is their ongoing tendency to get impatient with God and grapple their whole lives to get a leg up on somebody else, to get what they think they need or can't live without. This is the common denominator. Let me remind you of a verse that God gave Abraham. Way back in Genesis 15 and verse 5. God brings Abraham outside. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And here's how he says it. He brought him outside and he said, look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. But how many kids did Abraham have? Uno. One. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham, did he die ever seeing this promise fulfilled? He died long before he ever saw this promise fulfilled. In fact, in Hebrews, he's commended for his faith, 
in not seeing this promise fulfilled. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, All these, meaning Abraham and others like him, died in faith, not having received the things... What's the next word, church? Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And up to this moment in Genesis, we don't have a lot of stars in the sky being born. It's Abraham, and then it's Isaac, and then it's Jacob and Esau. There's nothing going on. We're talking over 200 years since this promise is given, and nothing's happening. What does Abraham do in the in-between time? He dies not seeing any of this come to fruition. Well, Sarah took some matters into her own hands. Do you remember what she did? She came up with a brilliant plan of giving her handmaiden to Abraham So because she was barren. She wasn't barren any kids, and she was like 80. So, you know, click, tick-tock, time's up. So give her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham, and they have a son, and his name was? Oh, Ishmael. Very good, yes, Ishmael. And that didn't work out so well. Actually, they got chased out by Sarah herself. All of these folks, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these folks ended up doing really dumb things because they weren't waiting on the Lord. All of Abraham's descendants share in this, this, this dumbness. Rebecca said, God, you promised me Jacob would be the one to inherit the blessing, and then you let Esau grab his father's heart. So Rebecca and Jacob plot against their husband. Remember, Rebecca's husband. Esau said, God, you set it up so that I would be the firstborn. And firstborns always get the blessing, and they always get the birthright. And then you let my younger brother steal my future. Jacob, God, you promised my mom that I would be the one to carry on the promise and birth a nation. But now I'm over 70 years old, and I don't have any children. By the way, if you're just catching up with us, Jacob and Esau are 70 years old when they're pulling these silly little things on each other. At one time or another, they got all impatient waiting on the Lord. They'd been promised that God would take care of things. They'd been assured that God had a plan. They were told that they were a part of that plan. They were an important part of that plan. But as time wears on, all of them take matters into their own hands, and every time they do, they mess things up, and they hurt people in the process. Now, let me bring you up to speed with where we're at. Jacob has done another, um, well, actually, Jacob has had a Jacob pulled on him. (laughs) Everything that Jacob had done to his family, Laban now has done to Jacob. If you're just catching up with us, Jacob's hanging out with his mother's brother. His mother is a conniver, and his mother's brother is a conniver. They come from the same family. He's hanging out with Laban. He worked seven years so that he could get the woman of his dreams, whose name was Rachel. And on the wedding night, after working seven years, he's in his tent. He's waiting for his bride to come in. Bride comes in. She's dressed like Rachel. She looks like Rachel. She smells like Rachel. Everything that Jacob had done, Laban does to him. And in the morning, he awakens, and the Bible says, and behold, Leah. He thought he was marrying Rachel. Laban pulled a Jacob on him. So he, stay, he agrees to stay seven more years. Laban says, give me seven more years because basically anything Jacob touched turned to gold and you don't want to lose a worker like that. So he, uh, Laban agrees to give him his second daughter. 
So now he has Leah and he has Rachel. And the problems begin again. Because Jacob loved one of them, and he didn't just not love the other one, but he hated the other one. Guess which one Jacob loved? Which girl did Jacob love? Rachel. Which, which girl did Jacob hate? And you might think that just because he's ignoring her doesn't mean that he hates her. So let me just clear this up for you, because in Scripture we're told specifically in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Make no mistake, Jacob hated Leah. Why would he hate Leah? He could love two, two women, right? You could, you could semi-love her. How about you could, you could agree to live with her? But he didn't do any of those things. He hated her. Why do you think he hated her? She pulled a fast one on him, right? She worked with her dad to mess Jacob up. Sound familiar? Jacob worked with his mom to mess Esau up. Very interesting. By the way, in case you're wondering, like, Craig, I think you're putting a lot into the word hated. Let me just tell you in the Hebrew what the word hated means. Hated means to abhor, to disdain, or to look for opportunities to be openly hostile. That sounds like hate, don't you think? This is not what Jacob was promised, and so he was forced to marry this woman, and he hated her her entire life. Jacob is a hypocrite. The other thing I notice in this this verse is the way that it starts. Look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. What does that tell you about God? These words are nothing short of empathy for Leah's situation. And so what does God do? The one who is hated, who is walked on, the one that is promised a life of loveless marriage, God looks with empathy on and opens her womb so that she becomes like incredibly fertile. And the thing that makes you uh, uh, popular, the thing that makes you prosperous in this day was children, especially boys. So God opens Leah's womb. And Leah has boys like you wouldn't believe. You look at Leah, she's having a kid. Did Leah deserve to be loved? Yes, she did. Regardless of what happened, she deserved to be loved. Did, should Jacob have loved Leah? Yes, he should have. Because let me tell you, not only are you commanded in Scripture to love your wives, men, which you are, to love your wives as a church, but even if you don't really like her that much, or let, let's say that she's even your enemy, you still don't get out of it, because God says, love your enemies. So guys, your responsibility is to love your wife, as Christ loved the church. The Lord expected Jacob to love Leah, but he refused. God had pledged unending love to Jacob. This is the irony. God had pledged unending love to Jacob, regardless of the fact He did the exact same thing to his family. And Jacob withheld his love from Leah. Verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Have you ever heard such sad words in Scripture? 
I have this baby boy. Now my husband will love me. If you back up into verse 18 of chapter 29, you'll see that Jacob loved, the the Hebrew there is ahava. This is a deep, emotional, soulmate kind of love. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years. This is him talking to Laban for your younger daughter, Rachel. What does Leah want in life, church? She just wants to be loved. That's all she wants. A deep, emotional, soul connection with one other individual. She desperately wants Jacob's love. And you can see it in her words. The Lord has looked upon my, what? My affliction. Her affliction was lack of attaining what she desperately wanted more than anything else. And Leah would have to understand what many other women do, and maybe even some in this room. Leah is the woman in an exhausting marriage, watching romance movies, waiting for that to happen to her. And it never does. And not only that, she's waited her whole life. She should have been married by now. She's not married because she's got something, and we're not told exactly what it is. The Bible describes it as like an eye issue, but it probably wasn't an eye issue. It probably was some sort of something that made her undesirable. So for her whole life, people have walked, men have walked right by her. Nobody's loved her, and she's had to wait to be married, thinking that day would never come. Laban, thinking that day would never come, he'd never get rid of her. So he runs this ploy on Jacob to get rid of her daughter. And what's worse is that Leah always had to look across the table at her beautiful sister. And think to herself, all the men who would rather have her beautiful sister than her. Now that would never change. Now she would be in a marriage with a man who would always do the exact same thing. He would always look at her beautiful sister and love her, but never love Leah. Was this a wrong desire on Leah's part? Is it wrong for Leah to want to be loved? No, it's absolutely not. But here's the problem, church. She was willing to stoop to any level to get what she wanted. She was not satisfied with finding her values in the Lord. She was so distraught that she didn't even recognize God's blessings along the way. In fact, when she has a son, you would think to yourself, hey, Leah, you have a son now. There's some joy in your life. No, she's not joyful that she has a son. And you want to know how I know that? Because she called him Reuben. Do you know what Reuben means? Do you want to know what Reuben means? Reuben means see a son. Why would you call your son, see a son? The only reason you would is because you want your husband to look at you and say, okay, 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 you gave me a son. I'll give you a little bit of attention. See, a son. I did it. I pulled it off. Here, here's the son. But Jacob still wouldn't love her. Jacob never changed in his feelings toward her. And church, when core desires sometimes are never met, our worst selves are exposed. So you know what happened to Leah? She has another son. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore another son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also and called his name Simeon. Do you know what Simeon means? Simeon means the Lord has heard. 
In other words, the Lord has seen that Jacob hates me and he's given me another chance to earn my husband's affection. Every name of these kids bellows the pain of Leah's heart. Rather than giving her the ahava, this deep love that she wanted, Jacob gave her nothing in return. But I want, to, I want you to see something. God gave her something. God gave her blessings. God gave her favor. God blessed this woman with things that other women would love to have. And she missed it because she wanted what she couldn't have. Can I speak frankly to you for a moment? You might be right. You might really need a thing or really deserve a thing. Or you might have been promised a thing and you have every right to have it. But the Lord may be using you in a way that you do not see yet. So the blessings he gives you along the way might not be for the end purpose that you think or might not meet the needs that you think you have. But God might have a different purpose for you. And with each one of these children that Leah bore, each one of them had a specific, amazing plan that God has put out especially for them. God didn't give Leah what she desired the most, but he gave her a significant part of what he needed her to be. A key part in his plan for this world. Verse 34. Again, Leah sneezed and bore a son. (laughs) Number three. And said, now this will break your heart, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. Can you guess what Levi means? Levi means attached. Now with this third child, three boys. Any man would love to have three boys. Right? So this would be, this would be the thing. Well, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> I happen to love having four girls. Let me just put that on the record. But she's thinking any guy would love to have three boys. So after three, this is the charm. Now my husband will be attached to me. But he's not. Leah thought these children would fix her problems with Jacob. But having children never fixes problems. You know what it does? It only exasperates the ones that are already there. Verse 35. And she conceived again, number four, and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased childbearing. Finally Leah has the fourth child, and after three years realizes she's never going to get Jacob's love. She's never going to get the thing that she desperately wants. And so she concedes to the fact that God is going to be enough for her. After the fourth child, after years of misery, she concedes. So do you know what the word Judah means? Judah means praise. Finally, Leah changes. She shifts gears and realizes that God is going to be the love of her life. And Jacob would never be what she wants or had hoped for her whole life. No matter how many children she ever bore for this guy, he would always not just love Rachel most, but he would hate Leah most. Now keep in mind, this guy is having intimate relationships with this woman that he hates. 
Don't you just want to take Jacob out in the back of the shed and beat him around a little bit? Yeah. Martin Luther says it this way. By the way, Martin Luther is an amazing uh, church father from the Reformation, kicked off the Reformation. He says this about this passage. Wretched Leah sits sadly in her tent with her maid and spends her time spinning and weeping. For the rest of the household, and especially Rachel, despises her because she has been scorned by her husband, who prefers Rachel and is desperately in love with Rachel alone. She is not beautiful. She is not pleasing. No, she is odious and hated. There the poor girl sits. No one pays attention to her. Rachel brags. She does not even look at her. I am the lady of the house, she thinks. Leah is a slave. These are truly carnal things in saintly fathers and mothers, like the things that usually happen in our houses. And unfortunately, that is so true. If you find your joy in your children, you have found your joy in the wrong place. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, your children are a little bit insane. (laughs) They will let you down. They will continue to do things that displease you. And it is your job to get them on the track of God's plan for their lives. That's our job as parents. But men, your main goal in marriage is not to find your joy in your children. It's to find your joy in Jesus first and in your wife second. And ladies, your job is not to find your joy in your children either. It's to find your joy in your husband and in your God. That is the proper format for a Christian family. And when you mix it up, oh, it gets really, really confusing. I can't tell you how many families I've met that make decisions based on what their children need first. That is a recipe for disaster. Your goal in life is to figure out what God's will is first, because that is best. And if it means going to the mission field and taking your kids with you, that is the best choice. Show me a family who looks out for what their kids' needs are first, and I'll show you a ship heading for the rocks. All right, enough on that. Chapter 30 and verse 1. We continue the insanity. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. On a level of desperation, would you say she's at a 1 or a 10? All right, good. We're on the same page. She's at a 10. Verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Rachel and Leah share a common malady. And here it is. They both try to force what they think they are missing. Rachel's missing children. And what's worse is, Leah's sneezing and bearing children left and right. So she sees this, and even though Jacob loves her more than Leah, it's obvious. Rachel is miserable. And Rachel is making Jacob miserable. Isn't that crazy? Leah wants what Rachel has, Rachel wants what Leah has, and they're both making each other and Jacob miserable. You want to be invited over to a really interesting Thanksgiving dinner? Get a visit from these guys. (laughs) Leah has all the children, Rachel has all the love, and both wanted what the other already had. Jacob's love for Rachel was just 
not enough. And here's what I think. I think Rachel was afraid that she would lose Jacob's love if she didn't start producing baby boys. I think she lived life in fear. Maybe Jacob would start liking Leah more than he likes me. And I think Rachel had a severe self-image issue. Verse 3. She comes up with a plan. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant plan. Look what she does. Then she said, here's my servant Beliah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, and even I may have children through her. Brilliant plan. It's always good to find another woman to, to have a child with so that you can feel better about yourself. This has worked so well in the past. You remember? Abraham did this with Hagar, and it worked spectacularly well. So Rachel thinks to herself, my grandfather did this. Jacob's grandfather did this. So let's try the same thing. Now, in this day, this was socially acceptable. If you had a handmaiden and she had children, it was just like you had the child. The handmaiden would go through all the pain. You would get all the credit. I didn't write the rules. That's just culturally how it was in this day. It was a way of doing, you know, inverto fertilization in the early days. So Sarah, uh, or so people often ask me at this point, I got to take a pause and say, people often ask me at this point, Craig, why is there so much polygamy in the Bible? Why is there so much like this, uh, these relationships going back and forth like this? And why is this such a culturally acceptable way of having children? My answer is, I don't know. But I do know this. The proof is in the pudding. And here's a fun activity. You look through the Bible and tell me of any man who had more than one wife and how that went for him. It never went well. And how many men had children with other women and it worked really well? It never works out well. So regardless of the mistakes and the, the bad decisions people make, God is never giving his stamp to something because if he did, it should be blessed. And in Scripture, it never is. It only adds to the heartache. It adds to the pain. And all it does is illustrate to us how impatient we are on waiting on the Lord. So let's be clear. Two things never work out well in Scripture, and they don't work out nowadays either. Number one, using other women to bear your children. Now, inverted fertilization, that's a different thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a sexual relationship with somebody outside of your marriage so that you can have kids. That never worked or works out well. And the second one is marrying more than one spouse never worked out well. All right, verse four. So she gave him, her servant Beliah, as a wife. And Jacob went into her. And Beliah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me and also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Do you want to know what Dan means? vindication these women are messed up (laughs) she named her son vindication because finally she felt like she could keep up with leah and god helped her by allowing her to use her handmaiden to have the child This was all about sticking a thumb in Leah's eye. And finally, Rachel had a child of her own and thought that God had given it to her. Which he did, which he did, which he did. 
Verse 7. Rachel's servant Bliah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, now get this, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Do you want to know what Naphtali means? My struggle. She named her child, I fought with my sister my whole life and finally I've won. That's his name. Rachel is grappling to be as important as Leah in being a mother for Jacob's children. So an additional baby boy is another arrow in her arsenal. She shoots it at Leah as often. Can you imagine having dinner with these people? Seriously? Well, I had three kids. Well, I have six kids. Well, I have two kids. Yeah, but use your handmaid. That doesn't count. You know, can you imagine how the, the conversations went? <laughs> And unless you think it's getting better, Leah jumps into the fray in verse 9. She figures, I'm getting behind. He, she's, uh, Rachel's catching up. So when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, guess what Leah did? She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Brilliant. Leah's not happy now that Rachel is outperforming her. She hasn't been pregnant for a while, so she decides to jump into the fray. Use Rachel's method and get back up. It's like, it's like when we play foosball. You ever play foosball? And, and then those little things at the end where you, you, you try and get the more, more little ticks. What are those things called? The little, uh, yeah, the score, the little circle things at the end. The thing that irritates me is I got to play and I got to look at those little circle things and I've got like three and the other guy has five and I'm thinking to myself, I got to get another one, I got to get and then you get another one. And it's like a battle. Who will get the most little Little uh, ticks on the, on the foosball table. I should have found out what those were because that sounds like a good illustration. Verse 10. <laughs> then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, and called his name Gad. Guess what Gad means? Good fortune has come. Brilliant. Verse 12. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women call me happy. So she called his name Asher. Guess what Asher means? Happy. Verse 19. Leah conceived again, bore Jacob a sixth son. Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Guess what Zebulun means? And so and so and so it goes. Zebulun means honor. These poor women are battling each other for their husband's favor. Then in verse 22, God does something incredible. God remembered Rachel listened to her and opened her womb, she conceived herself and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, now get this, may the Lord add to me another son. Do you know what Joseph means? Joseph basically means, I hope I'm going to have another. Jake, Joseph means, may God increase. Finally, she has a son, and she's thinking to herself, okay, now I don't need my handmaiden anymore. Now I'm going to start you know, popping them out, and I'll catch up to Leah. She's hungry for more, so she calls his name Joseph, and she does have one more, and his name is Benjamin. And guess what happens when Benjamin is born? Rachel dies. She dies in childbirth. And then, that's not the worst thing that could happen, but the worst thing happens that could happen in any family. Jacob takes his attention away from Rachel, who is now dead, and needs to find a new favorite in the family. And since Rachel's not there anymore, and Leah he doesn't care for her, in fact he hates her, 
and all the boys that Leah has born to her, is just a reminder to him how much he hates Leah, guess who he loves the most? Joseph. And you know it from Scripture because he makes him a coat of many colors. He promises things to Joseph that he doesn't promise to the others. And the craziness just continues. Here's a list of all the children that these ladies had. They had 12 sons to give promise, to, to, to fulfill the promise given to Abraham over 200 years earlier. Leah had six, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. By the way, Levi has all the priestly uh, uh, pastors of the day. The priests of the day would come from Levi. Judah, <laughs> Judah is the line from which Jesus comes, the Messiah. Issachar, Zebulun, all these came from Leah. Leah's concubine had two, Gad and Asher. Rachel's concubine had two, Dan and Naphtali. Rachel had two, Joseph. By the way, in Scripture in Genesis, there are 16 chapters dedicated to Joseph. Benjamin was her second and the one that caused her death. From these folks, from this crazy pot of insane people, come the 12 tribes of Israel. This family that God would begin building, which, by the way, would include us spiritually. We become a part of this family that God is building, spiritual family, that includes Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection from the dead, and our ability to call each other brothers and sisters in the church. All from this crazy, weird beginning. So what? I have four. That's three more than I usually have. But there's so much that can come out of this. Number one, beware of the example that you're setting. <laughs> Does that, it kind of goes without saying, right? Beware of the example you're sub- setting. Why? Because grapplers multiply. Isaac played favorites. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah, as parents, loved the different children. And because of that, that, these guys grew up 70 years doing really stupid things to each other. And the biggest dumb thing they did was Jacob stealing Esau's birthright and his blessing. Isaac played favorites. Jacob played favorites, putting his wives in desperate places, causing them to bring his own life, by the way, misery. Jacob's favoritism, learned from his own parents, is now passed on into his relationships with Rachel and Leah. And that favoritism is passed on to his son, where now Joseph is clearly the favorite. And how did Joseph's life go? Well, his brothers hated him. Why? Because Jacob loved him the most. Sound familiar? So what'd they do? Well, they beat the tar out of him, threw him in a pit, sold him to a bunch of Ishmaelites, lied to their dad about what happened. He gets sold into slavery in Egypt, gets lied about, ends up 20 years in prison for a crime he doesn't do, finally hopes he gets out of prison, gets forgotten about, ends up coming to power in Egypt because God allows him to interpret dreams. And all of a sudden now, all 11 of his brothers end up in front of him finally. Oh, you're going to love this story. We're doing this story next, by the way. And finally, when Jacob has literally all the power in the world at the time, he looks at his brothers and he can do anything to them he wants to. Like literally anything. And I'll keep you in suspense with what he does. 
read you this verse because you can see how Jacob just didn't change his spots. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, what did they do, church? They, they hated him and they could never speak peacefully to him. And so beware the example that you're setting. Love your children equally. Tell them that they're the favorite when the other's not in the room. But love them equally. Because they're all blessings from the Lord. Number two, beware of what you become when you don't get your perceived needs met. Beware of what you become when you don't get your perceived needs met. Your core relational needs might be good and honorable, but beware of your sin nature when they go unmet. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who come to me and say, Craig, I just need blank. If I only had blank, I would be happy. If I only had a girlfriend, if I only had a boyfriend, if I only had a mom who loved me, if I only had a dad who loved me, if I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, if I only had a courage. (laughs) They come and they say, if I only had this thing, I would be happy. And you know what they miss along the ways? All of God's blessings and especially the fact that he has made them to receive from them a really important part in his overall plan. No one's here by mistake. Everybody's important. Everybody has value. And when women go unloved, they do desperate things. When men go disrespected, they do desperate things. When spouses are left sexually wanting, they do desperate things. The thing you may want, you might actually need. But wait on the Lord. He has a better plan. Don't grapple. Don't become something different in the gap. Leah gave us a little hope because she switched gears when she realized her husband would never love her. Eventually she found that her her love for her children and her love that she had from the Lord would be enough. And that's when she birthed the messianic line, the line that would give us Jesus Christ. But Rachel never learned. She was always afraid she would lose Jacob's love She took matters into her own hands. She makes Jacob's life miserable, and she drives herself to mad acts of despair. So fill in the blank, church. This applies to us all. If I only had blank, everything would be better. And my question to you is, what would you be willing to do to get it? Number three, beware of confusing what you really need. (laughs) This naturally goes hand in hand with the previous one. Your core relations, uh, relational needs may be good and honorable, but you've got to find your joy in Jesus Christ alone. His plan is better than our plan. This is what makes Christians different from the world around us. We actually believe there is a supernatural plan at work which we are invited into. The world around us does not believe that. But we are called to a higher standard because God is in control. And living for Christ means giving him control. Surrendering our control to his control. We know that Jesus is our hope, our joy, our rest, our future. And our whole raison d'etre, our whole reason for being, is found in doing and being who God has created us to be. Jesus plus everything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything.
Paul the Apostle learned this lesson when he wrote these words in Philippians 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned that whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I have found that I can do, church, say this with me, all things through him who strengthens me. That is the mantra of the believer. Because no matter what happens, we know God has a plan at work. And we may be confused, we may be distraught, we may be in pain and losing gallbladders or different organs left or right. But God has a plan. And whatever he has for us, we know is better than what we could grapple for on our own. Last one. Goes hand in hand with that one. Beware of personal discontent stealing away the hours of your life. Beware of personal discontent stealing away the hours of your life. Don't fret. No matter the rivalries, no matter the contriving, God's big script is going on unhindered. No matter how we mess up, no matter how, how many Leah's, Rachel's, or dumb Jacob's are in the line, God is getting his mission done. That's what makes God amazing. He is greater than our sin. He overcomes our failures. Everything that God does is right on track. You can be a part of it, or you can fight against it. God gave everyone in this story over to their vices, and God still had his will accomplished in the process. Listen, this family was a chosen family of God. Hanging out at their house should have been a joy. You should have went over to their house and went, these people love Jesus. This is an amazing, amazing family. But you go to their family, and it's completely the opposite. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's fighting against each other. Living in this house was miserable. Rachel hated Leah. Leah didn't like Rachel. And no one was content. Everyone grappled, and still God's will got done. Remember where we started today? At one time or another, all these folks got impatient waiting for the Lord. They had been promised that God would take care of things. They had been assured God had a plan. They had been told they were, had an important part in that plan. So, my question to you, church, is, what have you already learned about the Lord? You, we are just like these folks. What do you know about the Lord? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? But we fret about being alone. God said, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the God, this God of, of peace will bring you joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment. God says these things in Scripture all the time to us. He reminds us that we're not on our own and that He's working out a greater plan. So don't fret. Jesus' own words say, You see the birds in the air? They're fluttering around with meaningless futures. God provides for them. How much more will he also provide for you? And then Jesus says, O ye of little faith. Over and over in Scripture, we know the plans God has for us, plans for a future and a hope. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We know all these verses. 
And yet we fret, and yet we worry, and yet we try and grapple our way up the ladder. And so I remind you, church, beware of personal discontent stealing away the hours of your life. Have you ever met somebody that frets their way through life? They are not a joy to be around. But have you ever met somebody who just says, the Lord's got it all in control? I'm just giving it to him. They are somebody to learn from. So do you have trouble waiting on God to provide for what you cannot live without? Take heart. God is always at work. Here's a couple of things for you to take home with you. Number one, wait with assurance. Know that his heart for you, as his heart is for you as you spread your requests before him. Be assured, God has a plan. Number two, wait in patience. Don't you hate that? Yeah, hate that word. Wait in patience as you plead for the promise of his aid. Number three, wait with the simplicity of your soul. Quiet patience, not crumbling fear under the weight of your affliction. Satan would love to steal the hours of your life away by giving you lots of things to be afraid about. Don't let it happen. Trust God. Don't be like the boys on the ship in the middle of the storm who yell at Jesus because he's sleeping through the whole thing. Why was Jesus sleeping? He's got it all under control. Why were they fretting? They didn't know God had it under control. Last thing, wait in faith with the absolute confidence that he is doing something you cannot see. That's why we live by faith and not by sight. That's why 80-year-old women can have children, 70-year-old moronic brothers. God can still use, God can still birth 12 boys that would be the sand of the shore and the stars of the sky. God can do amazing things. You already know this. If you've been a believer for 10 minutes, you know God can do amazing things. Why do you think he would ever give up on you now? In Romans 8, one of the, my favorite parts is that it says something like this. If God didn't withhold his only son from us, why do you not think that he will give you even more? And so these are great promises for those who wait. So I encourage you, church, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. It's good, right? Good. Too bad these stories are not as applicable as I had hoped they would be. <laughs> would you pray with me? Father, we now have learned another story from Jacob. Grapplers multiply. Help us to be aware that those things we allow to fester in our lives those things that we allow to continue that we know you're not pleased with want to give birth. They want to multiply. And so, Father, I pray that we would be like you ask us to be in, in the book of Matthew where we have the Sermon on the Mount, where you tell us don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Where you remind us that you take care of the birds of the air and the grass and the field this world is our proof to us that you never take a day off. And Father, how much more important are we than the birds of the sky to you? 
So may each one of us take out of this message, Lord, that you have a great purpose for us, a great plan. And it may not include the things that we think we need, but it certainly includes everything we need to be who you need us to be. So let us walk by faith and not by sight. Examples to our children and our friends of what a life of faith should look like. May we obey your word and follow your example. And in doing so, be a light to this generation. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.